Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you all for coming out tonight. I sure appreciate that. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Always. This is the place to be. Uh, I've never been to a Wednesday service here, so uh, this is probably going to be a little different. (laughs) So, uh, again, please bear with me. Uh, Be patient, and the Lord will see us through. Amen. I do want to uh, open with a, with a few comments. Um, <clears throat> first, I want to thank all of you uh, for the service this Sunday. Uh, it was it was a, a, an awesome, awesome service. Both messages were absolutely spot on, amazing. Uh, I got to say, Brother Parker, uh, if I was going to have a last message before I stepped down as pastor, let it be that one. That was that was incredible. Thank you, uh, and thank all of you for your service. Uh, the refreshments were great. Uh, those that I, that I spoke to, the visitors that we had, they loved it, uh, and the welcoming. <coughs> excuse me, the welcoming attitude of this church, the love that you demonstrated. Thank you so very much. <coughs> uh, as far as uh, opening the service tonight, uh, we'll do that in a moment officially. Uh, we're not going to have any music tonight. We will have music on Sunday, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and it won't be me singing. I'm looking forward to that as well. <laughs> and if you knew how I sung, you would too. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, for our service tonight, uh, I would like us to uh, open it with prayer uh, and with worship. The, and I want us to pray specifically for two things tonight. Uh, for the city of La Crosse, the, uh, the impetus, the, the focus is going to be twofold uh, this year. It's going to be to grow this church and to plant other churches. Now, We'll get more into that on Sunday, but uh, this city needs you. It needs God, but God is going to come to them through you. Uh, He is going to use you. He's going to use your voice. He's going to use the gifts and talents that he's given you to reach those around us, and this city is... I've prayed for this city for several years now, and I'm wanting to see some fruit from those prayers. Uh, And I know you guys have prayed too, and I think it's time. And so that's going to be our focus. Tonight I want to pray for La Crosse, the souls that live and work here. uh, They need salvation. I wasn't born and raised in this. I know, as it were, both sides of the fence. And I came into this as a young adult. Um, And so I know what it's like to live without God. And I know what it's like to live with God. And there can't be any more stark difference than those two. They need God. They don't know it most times, but that's the answer to whatever they're going through. And I want to pray for our service tonight, that God would speak to us, minister to the needs represented here tonight, and that he would have his His perfect way, that he would have complete liberty here tonight to do what he wants to do. Amen. Can we all stand for just a moment, and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, praying for these things, and then we're going to enter into a, a, a time of worship and thank him for the answer. Amen. Jesus, you're an awesome God. You have all power. You have all authority. And so we turn to you tonight, the Lord our God, because only you, only you can affect change in these areas. Only you can do the things that they need done. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would arise tonight, that you would arise this year, 
and that your enemies would be scattered, that you would anoint us, the church of the living God, that you would bind us together as one, in one spirit, in the spirit of unity, and send us forth, Lord Jesus, an army, mighty with banners, that you would cause us to, to be triumphant in this city for the Lord our God. We are very jealous for your glory. And I pray, O oh God, that your name would be lifted up in this city, that you would establish your rule here in La Crosse, that you would rule here with a rod of iron, in righteousness and in holiness, that you would establish your works. Hallelujah, Jesus. And that you would save to the uttermost. That you would save with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm those whose hearts are, are seeking you, those who would be heirs of salvation. Lead them, I pray, to a place of repentance. Hallelujah, Jesus. And I pray for our service tonight that you would meet with us, that you would meet with your children tonight, and that you would have your perfect will and way in our midst here tonight. Lord Jesus, we need a word from the Lord. We need to hear your voice. We need to feel your touch tonight. We don't need the voice of a man. We need the voice of the Lord our God. Speak to us tonight. Minister unto us according to your perfect will and according to our desperate need tonight. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We give glory and honor unto the Lord our God because you are worthy. You are ever worthy of all worship. You are ever worthy of all praise, of all glory, of all honor. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and we magnify your name. We lift up the name of Jesus in this place. Hallelujah. We lift up the name of Jesus in every place. You are an awesome God, and we expect awesome things of you tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. You are an awesome God. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting us here. Thank you, Jesus, that your presence is already here tonight. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Continue to minister in our service tonight according to your perfect will. Continue to minister tonight, I pray. Speak to your people. Undergird them with strength tonight. Encourage them in the Lord their God. They are your people. They are blood-bought. Hallelujah, Jesus. They are an exceeding good and precious people. Minister unto their needs tonight, I pray. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, your mercy, your grace, your compassion to usward. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, Lord Jesus, let your name be magnified in our midst here tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You are indeed very sensitive to the presence of God. Thank you. Luke 15, starting with verse 11. This will be a familiar passage for most of you. This is the uh, account of the prodigal son, parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. Jesus is speaking, and he says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his, unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before thee, and am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck, and kissed him. 
And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf? And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. We'll be talking for a few minutes tonight on this topic, the anatomy of a conversion. The anatomy of a conversion. And you can be seated. Thank you for standing so long. One of the things that Brother Parker touched on a lot during his message, was the need for our minds to be transformed. We needed a change of thought, a change of mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're going to be talking a little bit about that tonight, that new mind and why it is so necessary. We want to discover tonight what exactly happens before, during, and immediately following a conversion. Now, uh, a couple definitions before we move on. What do we mean by conversion? Okay, uh, the word means it's, uh, it's both the change of nature and the exercise of that nature when it is changed. But for our purposes tonight, uh, we're going to go with this definition. That point in time where someone realizes God is right and they are wrong. At that moment... A conversion takes place when they realize that God is right and they are wrong. Okay, worldview. Uh, my, my family is sick of hearing about worldviews. I talk about it a lot. Uh, so tonight we're just going to touch on it as is necessary and move on to the topic at hand. But it is, it is important that we touch on it. Uh, a worldview is the lens through which we see the world. For example, if I have red-colored lenses... I'm going to see a red-colored world. And if you have blue-colored lenses, you're going to see blue. The problem comes when I try to tell people that everything out there is red, and you're seeing blue. I don't get why you can't understand that the world is red. And you don't get why I can't understand that the world is blue. So we got a conflict there. But in any case... Uh, Those lenses filter what's coming into us. They filter everything. They filter the choices that we make. They filter uh, our actions or our reactions. And ultimately, they determine who we become. Our worldviews determine who we become. We can take an example like Adolf Hitler. Not the best guy in the world, but... What was his worldview? How did he view the world? What did he think about things? That's what shaped who he was. That's why he did what he did. And that's why you do what you do. Because of your belief system. Last thing we'll touch on before we get into the message proper is free moral agency. Also known as free will. Uh, We all know what that is. We're the only part of God's creation that have the ability to tell God no. Everything else in the universe has to obey the voice of God. Everything. Everything but you. God has given you the ability to say no to God. 
I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do it a different way. I'm going to walk a different path than what you've chosen for me. And he's going to let you do that. Now, all of our choices have consequences, don't they? Should I maybe do a different mic? I'm just going to continue as if that's not happening. All of our choices have consequences, both good and bad. Now, when I exercise my free moral agency, for example, I could do something extremely stupid, okay? I could go buy a gun if I wanted to, load it with bullets, walk up and shoot someone dead. I could, if I wanted to knows about it no one's going to stop me and if you look at the world out here today we understand that uh, they're going to take care of that we understand that people do stuff like that all the time they make choices like that and so uh, other you know apart from miracles or Protecting the children of God, I mean, by and large, if I want to do that to someone, I can do that. God is not going to stop me. He is not going to interfere interfere with my exercise of free will, or yours either. And we're going to see that played out tonight. The younger son. Now, this guy is a treat, isn't he? He's a good guy, right? He's uh. He's a selfish guy. His motivations are selfish. Give me the goods that fall to me. Give them to me now. I want to enjoy them now. Before I came to the Lord, I would never have admitted it. But I was a pretty selfish guy too. I think probably most people are. That's part of fallen human nature. We are self-absorbed. We think a whole lot of ourselves and not much of other people. And we're very patient with ourselves and not very patient with other people. So the younger son wanted what was his. And then he set out to a far country in search of personal freedom and fulfillment. Now, it was pretty apparent, I mean, if you read through the story, he's not very happy at home. He doesn't like living under dad. I can relate. I didn't like living under dad either. Maybe my children would say amen. Their looks looks are more than enough. Glad only I can see those. (laughs) Uh, But there were a lot of things probably that his father taught. And wanted him to participate in that he didn't agree with. He can continue along with this. Obviously, it's not in his heart. He's been going through the motions. But now he gets to decide for himself. And he decides, give me what's mine, and I'm going to head out. I'm done with this. So he makes the choice to reject his father's values for for what? For something else, for some other set of values, some other belief system, some other worldview, whatever that is. What causes, this bothered me for a long time, Brother Parker, what causes someone who has tasted the Lord 
and saw that he was good. What causes someone like that, someone who has experienced God, someone who has lived in this, to walk away from it? I could never understand that. I've been tempted to. I expect probably we all have. I haven't always wanted to come to church. I haven't always been excited to lift my hands and worship God. But I'm always here. And I'm always glad that I did. Why would someone walk away from this? Especially someone who came out of that. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says this, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath sowed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, everyone knows that God is real. Everybody knows that. You don't have to prove the existence of God to people. They already know. In their heart of hearts, they know. God exists. He's real. But what people do, they don't want that. They don't want God to be real. And so what they do is they erect these defenses, these intellectual fortresses that barricade them from the truth. They are willingly ignorant of the truth of God's existence, his laws, his precepts, because in our old nature, we hate God. We hate his precepts. And again, before I came to the Lord, if you would have asked me if I loved God, I'd have said, yeah, I'm a good Lutheran guy. I love God. But my actions said anything but. My actions said I hate his guts. If I can say it so plainly, I didn't love God. I thought I did. If you'd have asked me, I would have said that and believed it. But my old nature hates the laws of God. I, in my old nature, I hate his ways. But God's given us a new nature. Praise God for that. <clears throat> so Romans one twenty eight goes on to say, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So, because they have chosen to be willingly ignorant of God, because they have chosen to reject the knowledge of God, they are now unable to discern truth from error, and they believe a lie. Now, please don't think for one second that this rejection is based in logic or in scientific evidence. It's not. They've already made up their mind. And they will try to use logic and use science and use evidence to justify their already made up mind. They've already decided. And the reason they've decided is this. They want to do what they want to do. They want to live the way they want to. They don't want to submit to a holy and a righteous God. They want to do things their way. They want to go drinking. They want to go partying. They want to do their drugs or, or uh, absorb themselves in porn or whatever it is. That's what they want to do. It's not because there's not enough evidence for God. It's not because, well, logic di dictates that God can't exist. The science says that this, everything evolved from a Big Bang 20 billion years ago. That has nothing to do with anything. <clears throat> they want to live sinfully. And to do that and feel good about it, they have to get rid of God. And that's how they do it. That predilection has been inside of us ever since the Garden of Eden. What did Satan tempt Eve with? Of the knowledge of good and evil. You can decide for yourself, Eve. You don't need God to tell you that. Make up your own mind. Weigh the evidences. You're smart. God made you smart. God gave you a brain. You can figure this out on your own. 
Sounded pretty good until she did. In the far country, the son finds the opportunity to indulge his passions in a lifestyle of promiscuity and reckless abandon. He gets to do everything that he's always wanted to do. He gets to explore every little uh, idea that he's had, every little thing that he's, he's secretly been thinking about. He got to do all of it. No one to stop him. Dad's not here anymore. I could do everything I wanted to do. And he's a happy camper, and he's having a good time. No stabilizing presence, no restraint. He lived however and did whatever he wanted to. And interestingly, God doesn't stop him. He doesn't. He probably sent warnings. I would expect. But he's not going to handcuff you to a, a lamppost and keep you from doing it. He won't do that. He's permitted to follow his new worldview all the way through to its logical conclusion. And sometimes that's the best thing you can do for someone. Because. It's been my experience, and I expect it was true with me as well, that until that happens, until we see the end result of our faulty worldview, I'm not going to hear what you have to say. I'll be polite. Yeah, okay, yeah, yep, I appreciate that. No, I respect you for that. But I'm going to go off and do my thing. But I promise you this, when you reach the end of that and everything falls apart on you, it's kind of like uh, when factories do stress tests on uh, factories that produce like I-beams and things like that. They'll take some and they'll do stress tests on it. And they always look perfect coming out. But when they put them through stress and they twist them and they bend them, then you start seeing fractures and weaknesses in the metal. And that's the same with any worldview, okay? Every worldview works when things are going great. Every one of them works. I could be a Buddhist, and if I got money in the bank and food on the table and my relationships are great, my worldview is awesome. It's working for me. But when everything falls apart, only one stands up. Only one. Only one is rational. Only one is internally and externally consistent with itself and with reality. And that is biblical Christianity. So, after the son gets to, to follow his worldview all the way through, what happens? What was the results? For us, predictable. But not for the guy before conversion. Not predictable. It blows their mind. They're not going to understand it. I don't get it. Why didn't this work? What's so wrong about me enjoying life? What's wrong with me having a little fun? This worldview blew up in his face. This far country that beckoned to the sun and promised so much at the outset turns out instead to be a facade, a mirage. A lie. And that's what sin is, folks. Sin in any form. It's a lie. You will enjoy it for a season, the Bible says. You will. It will be pleasurable for a season. 
but it will cost you so much more than you were expecting to pay. And it will take you all the way down. It led him instead to a land of famine and great want, both physically and spiritually. His worldview, it turns out, is utterly bankrupt. It didn't give him freedom. It didn't give him fulfillment. It didn't give him pleasure. It brought him to a place of destitution. It took everything that he had. Everything. In Jewish culture, feeding the swine was not exactly a priority for young sons to aspire to. That was, in fact, it was quite the opposite. It was an embarrassment. Yeah, it was, you just didn't do that. You didn't do that. And yet, not only was he feeding the swines, but he was looking at their food. I got to admit, this guy stuck it out pretty good. He gave it a good go. But <laughs> in the end, the Bible says he came to himself. The younger son during conversion. His worldview had just been brought crashing down around him. He did everything he wanted to do, fulfilled all of his desires, and he was left friendless, penniless, worthless. Now, interestingly, this is what God did for Israel when they brought when God brought them out of Egypt. It's interesting what God didn't do. He didn't just change Pharaoh's heart and say, yeah, okay, ask Pharaoh to let you go, and he's going to let you go. It wasn't like that at all. It was a very hard process. Judgment after judgment after judgment after judgment. God showing himself stronger, stronger, stronger. Stronger against what? Stronger against who? The gods of Egypt. Every judgment that fell was a judgment on one of the gods that they worshipped. And so he was demonstrating to both the Israelites and the Egyptians, your worldview doesn't cut it. Your belief system is not enough. You've got to look to me. I'm enough. And so he demonstrated that to the nation of Israel. Yeah, you are superior. Yeah, you do have more power. And then he brought them out. And then they were ready to receive the law. So the younger son remembers his father and the conditions of his home there. Yeah, there were rules. Yeah, there were regulations. It's interesting, during this part of his internal conversation, he doesn't talk about the rules. He doesn't talk about the, the, the harsh dad and, and all of his regulations. He doesn't say anything about that. He does talk about the wonderful conditions. His hired servants have enough to eat and to spare. He realizes what he lost, what he had. But only after whatever was in his mind was broke. God had to demonstrate to him this doesn't work. And he let him go all the way through with it so that he could see. He let him go through the destitution, all of his friends leaving him, his money leaving him. He let him go through all that for a reason. To bring him back to him. <clears throat> this has to happen to every one of us if we are to experience true and complete conversion to Jesus Christ. And this is the crux of the message. For true, for true Christian conversion to take place, we have got to get to the place where we realize whatever we had before is worthless. 
It's worthless. Whatever I believed before, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to bring me to destitution in some form, fashion, or other. It's not going to work for me. It's not going to work for you. And no one's going to be able to tell me that. Hopefully someone can, but probably not. I mean, there are people that you can talk to and God, God gets a hold of their heart or God's been working on them already. That definitely happens. Okay, I'm just telling you my personal experience. It wouldn't have worked for me unless God was was working on me already. It wouldn't have worked. I had my ideas, and that was it. <clears throat> but at some point I realized, and God let me go through with that, this isn't doing it. This is, this is a dead-end street. And for me, it happened fairly quickly. Thank God. My brother's in church now. He had to go quite a bit farther. He was, he was destroyed. But God's going God's to build him back. He is building him back. <clears throat> I told him he should be the one preaching this message. Because uh, he knows. He had what he thought was a foolproof worldview. It's working. People are coming to me for advice. All this stuff. He was the guru. And uh, life was good. Until it didn't work anymore. His wife left him. And it devastated him. And uh, I say this only because it took that in his life to bring him back to God. And it will take that in other people's lives. To a greater or lesser extent, we have got to get in our minds that there is only one worldview that works. There is only one belief system that works. Scripture. The biblical Christian worldview. That's the only one that works. And until we realize that, until we get that settled in our hearts and sell out completely to this, there's always going to be that struggle. And the reason for that struggle is this. I didn't want to get into this, but Every, uh, every belief system has at its, its core, its foundation, a set of principles that are not provable. They're not proved. They're just accepted. Okay? For example, the biblical Christian worldview accepts the fact that, that God exists. Now, we have proofs for it. We can look at creation. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. But I can't prove to you scientifically that there is a God. I can't do that. I accept it ultimately by faith. I think it's a reasonable faith. I think there is enough evidence to, to demonstrate that. But it is a faith. Other worldviews, secular humanism, they say uh, we evolved from a rock 4.6 billion years ago. God's not needed. Big Bang and all of that. Well, we can't prove that scientifically either. They'll say they can, but they can't. I've looked at the evidence. It's not proof. It's not proof. It's hope. It's please just take what I'm saying and go with it. There's no science behind evolution either. It's a religion, and it's based in faith. <laughs> Their faith is unreasonable. Okay? Uh, every worldview has that. Now, these set of principles are that worldview that we were talking about. That's what I'm going to judge evidences through. That's what I'm going to judge arguments through. Okay? And if I'm struggling between two worldviews, one of them is going to win out. If I'm still clinging to my old worldview, I'm going to use that to judge Scripture. And we can't do that. 
Scripture is, is the ultimate authority in the universe. There's nothing higher than the Word of God. God, but God is the Word. <clears throat> There's nothing higher. We can't judge the Word of God. The Word of God judges us. But that's what people do. They read a Scripture and they well, is that really true? Or, my favorite, well, what that really should have been translated as is, I'm just kidding, I hate that statement. I hate it. It's translated right. <clears throat> but, uh, so that's what they do. And until I sell out to the Word of God, I'm going to be judging it based on some higher criteria that I have in my own mind. And that's going to get me into trouble. That's got to be squashed. That's got to be crushed in me. And I'm using these words deliberately. This is a war. I am at war with myself, with my old nature. And I cannot be easy on it. I cannot show it mercy or quarter. My old nature is trying to drag me to the pit of hell. I can't show it any mercy. I have got to squash it. I've got to kill it, crucify it. And that means my old way of thinking. Because it's wrong. It's the wrong way to look at the world. Scripture is the right way. And that's got to be settled in our hearts for conversion to take place. He remembered his father, the conditions of his home there. And for the first time in a long time, probably, he had an honest and correct view of himself. He could see himself clearly now. I'm not the person I thought I was. I don't have it all together. I'm a man in need. He exercises free will again. But this time he decides to return to his father in humble repentance. What time do you guys typically go to? Eight o'clock. Okay. That's what I had planned on. We're, we're good. All right. <clears throat> so, with this new idea, with this new worldview, this new way of looking at himself, he approaches his father, but instead of being haughty and arrogant and selfish, this time he was humble and he was penitent and he was broken. And his father received him happily. He was looking for him. And that story ends happily ever after. Now let's take a look for a moment at the older son. <clears throat> now we understand, this church in particular understands, that scripture is the only correct lens through which to view the world. We've got to view the world through scripture. We, if we hear an, a new idea, we hear something new, we always filter it through Scripture, don't we? Does it line up with the book? If it does, yeah, we can go, go further with it. If it doesn't, I don't need it. <clears throat> but is that the worldview Christians actually possess? I've thought about that in my own life. Do I always do that? Am I always adhering to Scripture in all areas of my life? The older son, he was in the field working. He was with the father. We'll call him the church. He's saved. He's got the Holy Ghost. He's working for God. He's out in the field, which is the right place to be. We need to be out in the field working. <clears throat> we see, though, that he's rather proud of his faithful record of service, isn't he? Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. But you haven't noticed. You haven't rewarded me. He was angry, and he was uncooperative at hearing that his younger brother had returned. Now, this is, this is a red flag right here. 
when a sinner comes to the Lord or comes back to the Lord, that's cause to rejoice. Now, why would I not want to rejoice? Maybe that guy has done me wrong. And I'm secretly hoping he stays out there and gets what's coming to him. Right? That's not too big of a leap. I can give you an extreme example. What if someone broke into my home and shot my wife dead? Killed my children? And then I find out later that he comes to the Lord and he's going to get an early release. How do I feel about that? Now the right way to feel, the scriptural way to feel is I'm happy. I wanted to see him saved. I'm glad that he's repented. I'm glad God forgave him. That's the right response. But would I feel like that? In my heart of hearts, would I be able to truthfully say that? I hope so, but I don't know. I've never been there. I don't know how I would respond. The story of Jonah is kind of like that. He didn't want to go preach to the Assyrians because what if God forgives him? What if he follows through with that? Then what? I want to see the judgment come. The younger sibling obviously did not deserve the mercy he was being shown. That's what the older brother thought. And he was angry about it. The injustice. He gets this great big party after coming back from the the swine pits. I've been faithful. I've done everything you asked me to do. I've got nothing. He kind of had a mix of self-righteousness and self-pity. Neither one of those are good. The older son somehow missed the love and mercy that his father had, even though he'd lived and worked with him his whole life. Born and raised in church. Knew all the right things to say. Did all the right things. But like his younger brother, didn't really have it settled in his heart. The older brother, <laughs> even wouldn't, he wouldn't even call him his brother. When he was yelling at his dad, he said, But as soon as this thy son came, not my brother, your son. The elder son's mistake was pointed out by the father. You've always been here, and all I have is yours. This is all yours. As Christians, we become in danger of this kind of attitude. We can find ourselves sacrificing for the kingdom of God. uh, And it... Again, scripturally, it's our good pleasure to do so. We can never repay what God's done to us, for us. We can never repay what he's done for us. So anything we do, we're not really trying to repay, but we're doing because we're thankful for what God did. We're thankful for for his sacrifice at Calvary. We're thankful that he loves us and that he wants a relationship with us. I have no idea why. But I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll always be thankful that he does. So we can't pay that back. But we have free access to his presence. That's one of the things he gives. And as sons and as daughters of the Most High God, He gives us these blank checks in in his word. These promises, these covenant promises. Whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do. You have not because ye ask not. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. All of these blank check promises. 
And I got to admit, I stumble at those. I'm always looking, for whatever reason, I'm looking for a loophole. I'm looking, well, how do I qualify for that? God has already qualified us for those. Matthew 15, 26 and 27 says this. He answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. We have got to understand who we are in God. We are not those who are outside of the promises of God. We are the children of the Most High God. He has established a covenant relationship with us that He will not break. We can walk away from it, but He won't. Not ever. And all of these promises, and all of these Uh, everything in the Word of God is ours. It's ours. All of the resources of heaven are ours to use in His behalf for His glory. That's awesome. He's given us power and authority to work His will. He has a will for us. He has a plan for us, and He wants us to do it. He's given us everything we need to do it. He's given us power and authority over all the power of the enemy. Circumstances and situations ought not affect us the way they do. We are to live above those, not because of my strength or yours, not because we're smart, but because of the God who lives and dwells in us. One of the two preachers on Sunday said it, I think. We can be victorious because the one who is victorious lives and dwells in us. Not in and of ourselves. That's how I tried it before this. It doesn't work. If you're thinking about it, please take my word. It doesn't work. Let God work in your behalf. He's given us dominion in this city. He's given us authority in this city. We need to use it. The younger son was restored. He was reconciled with his father in a lavish display of love. And he was reinstated not as a servant, but as a son. And I understand that we're kind of both. We are sons. We're also, Paul always called himself a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. But as far as the covenant relationship goes, we're sons. We're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We're baptized into his family. He has pronounced his name over us. He's adopted us. That is such an awesome concept. He's such an awesome God. He was reinstated as a son. He wasn't worthy, and neither were we. But yet here we are, sons and daughters of God, filled with his spirit, endued with purpose, with potential, that he wants us to go out and use. I don't know if I've said this here yet or not, but I'll say it tonight, and I will continue to say it. It takes all of God's people to do all of God's work. I believe that with all my heart. And I also believe this, and we'll talk more about this on Sunday. The people we have in our church right now, you may look out and say, you know, it's a small church. Fair enough. Okay, fine. But here's, here's my promise to you. And from the Word of God, I'm telling you this. God has given this church everything and everyone we need to start moving forward right now. We need all of you. But we have everybody that we need right now to start moving forward with the plan that God has for this church and for this city. (coughs) 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, and we'll close with this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, amen, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That includes a new mindset, a new way of looking at reality. Now, one thing that, that we sometimes get in trouble with is that we try, when we first come to the Lord, we try to integrate this new belief system into our old. We try to make this com- composite belief system. Or uh, what we'll try to do is uh, we'll think that this is just another another aspect of an already busy life. Well, now i got to do this too. Now i got to come to church too. Now i got to read my Bible too. And the reality is, that we are new creatures. This isn't just something we're integrating into our lives. This becomes our new life. That old life is gone. This is who we are now. This is who we identify with now. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't identify with who I used to be. There's nothing worth anything there anyway. But in God... We are worth so much, and we can do so much through Him. But we've got to rely in Him. We've got to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ, not in our own talents, abilities, gifts. Uh, he's given us those, and He wants us to use those. But we can't rest in them. We can't, we can't lean on those. We have to lean in the, into the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him work through us. Our old belief systems are faulty. They were, they were weak. They were unstable. They did not give us a proper view of the world. And they certainly did not lead us where we needed to go. But through Scripture, we have a proper view of the world. We have a proper understanding of our relationship with the world and with each other. Most importantly, our relationship with God. And because of that, We are going to go where we want to go. We're going to see great things happen here. And after it's all done, said and done, we're going to enjoy eternity with Him. Amen. And that gives me hope because our political system right now is utterly broke. Please don't look to that for any help. Okay, good. We're on the same page. There's no help for us there. Hope thou in God. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for you and for your so great salvation. I'm thankful, Lord God, that despite our broken ways of thinking, you were able to lead us to truth. Help us to continue to grow in truth to love it, to buy it and to sell it not. Help us to live our lives and to pattern our lives according to the pattern that you've shown us through Scripture. I pray, Lord Jesus, that through you, through you, we would do great things in this city, in our families, our workplaces, that you would use us to demonstrate Jesus Christ to this world. That we wouldn't just talk about you, that we wouldn't just tell about you, but that we would show you, that we would demonstrate you to this world, that we would demonstrate your love and your compassion and your mercy and your grace, and that we would demonstrate your power and your authority over all the aspects of the enemy. Help us, Lord Jesus, to continue to submit ourselves to you in all things, to give ourselves wholly and completely to you and to the plan that you've laid out for us as individuals, as families, and as a church body. And above all else, Lord Jesus, that your great and precious name would be glorified in us and through us. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, If you have any distance at all, drive safe. Be back Sunday. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.